Here's the story of Chopstar Actors. We were busy kids making lots of bus. All of us had great careers, thanks to our parents, but wound up getting Till the one day when our group shared common stories. Welcome back, everybody, to Your Creativity. This is Dylan from Salt Lake, and we're talking with a special guest from Austin, Texas. Did, did I get that right? The, uh, the, the Austin, Texas part? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I, I just want to make sure my research was correct. Um, I'm the only member of the cast that's not actually in Los Angeles. And, and you're the only member of the cast that is, like, is, has a regular day job, it seems like, currently. Yes. I believe that is true, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why we're... It's a good thing. It's, a good thing. it's yeah, just it's a good thing. Uh, we are online with um, Daniel Pitaro, and you might remember him from Who's the Boss? He was the precocious little kid on there. Or, or is, that a, is that a bad word? <laughs> no, no. Okay. I, I was pretty precocious. It's true. <laughs> Those 80s shows had the best precocious kids, in my opinion. Oh yeah, uh, and you know we're—it's like we've got a different version of precocious now. Now it's like TikTok. That's that's the this version of precocious is those damn TikToks, or or a little five-year-old girl like just tearing people down to their to their souls. Yes, well, <laughs> that's uh, I, those I don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those are fun. Everybody could use a tearing down of their soul at some point by a five-year-old. I get torn down by a 13-year-old like nearly every day. So, Oh, well, teenagers, though, that's not fair because they create half of it just based on what's happening in their mind, right? Like, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's a good kid, though. But you're also known for uh, Cujo. Uh, yes. A Stephen King horror movie. I, I kind of want to get into that before we get into everything else. Okay. What was that even even like as a kid being that young in a, a film like that with this ferocious dog? You know, I, I do a lot of those Comic-Cons, or not a lot, I do some. And I'm always asked, every single person asks how traumatized I was making that movie. And the answer is that I wasn't at all. Um, I don't, I don't know what it was about me as a kid, but I, I was, I guess with child celebrities, you know, you don't, you don't understand what's going on. You, you're just there. You do your thing. Your mom tells you to say that you're supposed to say these lines at this time. And you do that. And some child actors do that and they get away with it. Some child actors turn around and say, hey, mom, I also think this could be really good. And what about if I did this? You know, so I'm a five and a half year old who's already had three years experience on As the World Turns. Oh, that's right. And, you know, soap opera. So you've got crying. It's just, I spent most of my time on the soap opera crying, it seems. Um, so I've already got that experience under my belt. And then, like, I, I don't think I could expect every child celebrity, particularly... Uh, child celebrities who might have just done like a sitcom or something family 
I don't think all of them could pull off this really intense, dramatic piece with an actress of the caliber of Dee Wallace. I mean, just to hold your own against Dee Wallace is a lot in the first place. And to be a five and a half, six-year-old when you're doing that, um, not trying to pat myself on the back, I, I don't actually understand or I, I've never been able to process how I was able to get to those places and how I was able to maintain such a sort of level of professionalism at six on a movie set like that. I mean, I, I'll, I don't know if I'll ever be able to wrap my brain around it. The only thing I can truly say is that I was destined to do those things. And sometimes with destiny, you just sort of go with that flow, right? And I, I don't know. I, 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 but yeah, there were, um, there were seven dogs. There was a man in a dog suit, a dog in a dog suit, a mechanical dog. And by the end of the day, none of it scared me at all. Um, that said, I hadn't seen the director, uh, Louis Teague. I had not seen him for 15 years. And, and when I first saw him again at a Comic-Con a bunch of years ago, the first thing he asked me was how traumatized I was by the movie. Um, because even he thought that I was truly going to be distraught with dogs as I grew up. And it didn't yeah. bother me at all. Um, and I think that just goes to show that I was able to get to such a place that everyone, even people on set, believed that I might sort of hold on to some of the, the trauma of that. Um, but I didn't, I don't know. At what point did you see the movie? I assume you didn't see it at six years old. I did. Oh. <laughs> uh, I know, I know. Uh, the only part that traumatized me was something I wasn't in, of course. There's a scene when this guy's getting his sort of throat mauled by the dog. And that that was scary to me. I had to look away. But of course, I went to a premiere. My parents uh, were so proud. They like bought out a little theater in New Jersey and we had our private screening. And, and somebody's bright idea was to let me be there for it. Um, but the, uh, that's the only part of the movie. The rest of it, I was actually really fascinated to see what, what it ended up looking like. I, I don't know. That doesn't make any sense. But a six-year-old, I was literally thinking, God, I can't wait to see how that scene with Dee and I at the house turned out. Like, I, how, I don't know. I don't know how to explain that. <laughs> so it became like very analytic, analytical for you at the at the screening interesting at at six that just i'll never be able to process how does how does that happen but yeah that my goal was to see which take they used um or if they actually got the car spinning around scene to work you know um that stuff was so fascinating to me it still is but it was definitely fascinating then very cool am i loud enough can you hear me yeah you sound good yep Okay. So who's the boss? Um, you're, I think you're a year younger than me in real life. I'm not sure what your age fell on the show. 44. Um, I'll be 45 next month. Okay. So, so yeah. but basically I grew up on the show from 84 to 92. That was 10 years old to junior year in high school. So I, I grew yeah. up on that show and well, you grew up on that show. Tell us, uh, your experiences as the growing up? Um, it was pretty good. Uh, I, I had definitely an exception to the rule in terms of child celebrity and fandom and stardom and, and you know, parties and all that stuff. I, I, we had just started to see at that point some of the negative effects of being a child celebrity 
Um, my parents were pretty in tune to sort of what could happen to a child actor. Um, and so I think it was the second season of the show. Um, they had already decided at that point that they would try to do as much as they could to make it so that my life was as normal as possible. Um, and for them, that meant that the day I finished filming Who's the Boss, um, I went to school. So there was no change. There was no transition from full-time job to you know nothing like most of the kid actors had because they had were tutored on set and all that. For me, I literally went just a full day of school the next day because what my parents had decided was, and they went to the producers and said, look, either you let him do this or you know we're gonna re renegotiate the contract. Um, and the plan was that I would find a high school somewhere in Los Angeles uh, um, that would let me attend the school for half a day. And it was not that hard to find, which I thought would be the really hard part, but there was a great school called Montclair Prep in um, Van Nuys that was willing to let me sort of put all of the important classes from you know 8.15 a.m. until about noon. And then I would just miss fifth and sixth period, which were usually PE and something else not important. Um, and so at 12 noon, I would drive all the way from Van Nuys to Sunset Gower Studios, where they had put any of my scenes, they had moved those, you know, rehearsal-wise, they had moved them till I got there. And then I would rehearse the scenes once I got there and um, try and do my homework when I wasn't. Um, so literally the day after Who's the Boss ended, I just continued going to fifth and sixth period and finally got to be in PE. Um, and by that point, by the time the show ended, um, eight years, you know, after eight years, I was deep in the midst of trying to get into college and uh, SATs and uh, AP exams. And I was thick, thick in that. And there just, there was no time to think about, oh gosh, the show's ending, what do I do now? It was, oh God, how am I gonna pass French AP, um, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Um, and I'm so grateful to my parents for that. I, I honestly don't know what would have happened if I had not had that to fall back on. Because as I've seen in, you know, post Who's the Boss, um, I, I, career options as an actor have been slim and few and far between. And so I think if I didn't have the school, it would have been a whole other story and could have been a real big mess. Not that I wasn't a mess at a certain point. Um, but that was uh, long after the initial end of the show. Well, we we got to figure ourselves out in our twenties, right? Yeah, and <laughs> and that was that was definitely the big thing, which was that until my twenties, my life had a very specific plan. You know, be an actor, be an actor, be an actor, be an actor who's going to school, trying to get into college, be a freshman in college at Stanford. Uh, graduate from Stanford and then go to New York. And now what do I do? And that's when things changed. And that's when I spent a whole bunch of time being a dumbass and uh, <laughs> messing with my opportunities and the little bit of money that I had left. And um, I definitely re regret some of that time just in terms of thinking back now, like, God, if I hadn't really just blown through some of that money, um, not on like drugs and rock and roll, but just on, instead of, you know, getting a full-time job, I was using some of that money to pay rent in New York city. Like, you know, so by hindsight, 2020, of course. So, yeah. 
Brenton, New York City, that's a that's a career within itself, right? God, living in New York is absolutely a career in itself. And New York City goes out of its way to make your life as difficult as possible. I've always said that. The city itself does that. Like going to the grocery store is difficult in New York City. <laughs> and, you know, after five years of being there and being around everybody who was just constantly depressed, living in tiny little closets, everybody trying to be something that they was so hard to achieve because you're in Manhattan and 5,000 other people want to do that as well. I just said, I can't, I can't do it anymore. So I left, but you know, I wouldn't take it back. And now you're in Austin. Um, um, and you work at a animal shelter. What, what took you to being working at animal shelter? Believe it or not, it's a full circle, like a, a utter and total full circle. Oh, yeah. Cujo. Yeah. <laughs> Well, oh yeah, oh yeah, I didn't think, yeah, but you're right, yeah, totally. Um, but more than that, it was that in high school, um, I my goal, my entire life goal was I refuse to be an actor, I want to be a veterinarian. And uh, that was literally all I could think about. That is actually what I went to Stanford to try to be, was a veterinarian. All okay. of my entrance exams and you know, letters and all of that were all about that as being my goal. I worked at a veterinarian office while I was in high school um, during the summers, and I was determined. Um, unfortunately, I got to Stanford and discovered that the right half of my brain doesn't work. Uh, <laughs> the math, the math and science part just doesn't doesn't work. At least doesn't work well enough to do that at Stanford, right? Yeah. So. I got there and my dreams were totally shattered because I could not pass the initial chemistry and science classes. And I actually left Stanford for a minute because I just was so disappointed that my dream was totally shattered. Um, went back to LA to try to be an actor because maybe that is what I'm supposed to do. Um, and spent a semester in LA just being a, a dumbass again um, before I finally realized, look, it's Stanford University. You just... You, you will never forgive yourself if you don't graduate from Stanford University. Just go back and find a different major, figure something out, and, at least, you know, have that under your belt. So I went back and I was a drama major, but in the directing focus. So I tried to do as little acting as I could. I tried to be on the other side of the camera, or mostly stage. Um, and I had a minor in English, too. So, you know, I still did, I still did a pretty good job at Stanford University, for crying yeah. out loud. Graduated on time, even though I took that whole semester off. I graduated with everyone else because I did summer classes for the last three years of uh, of my time there. Um, so anyway, so you know, I graduated from Stanford. I moved to New York to be a director, theater director, actor. None of that is successful. I had a few things happen, but mostly it was crap. Um, Okay, well maybe I'm supposed to do this in LA. Are you clear? Are you are you oh. still good? Because you've yeah. got blurry. Oh. Yeah, I'm I'm fine. As long as I'm yeah, yeah you're coming through good on your end. You don't need to be clear. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you're you're the talent. Yeah, I'm so, just the talking. So head. New York five five years of craziness in New York. Okay, maybe I am uh, let's try this again. So I go back to LA try to be an actor hardcore and all these things just compiling on in just 
it was literally the fates were literally telling me this is not this is the last thing you should be doing right so i finally after a bunch of years and a lot of mess that's when i was really sort of at my worst got my stuff together and finally realized this is ridiculous i'm all why do i keep trying to go back to this it's just not meant to be so um i had a decision to make and it was to move somewhere else so i sort of escaped la by moving to another city i went to las vegas i was there for five years as well uh, met my husband and truly think that the only reason i was sort of meant to go to vegas was to meet him um but while i was there i did some theater stuff i was behind the scenes um, and none of that was working out. So I ended up just becoming a restaurant server, uh, which three years later, I was running one of the top three stores in uh, PF Chang's in Las Vegas. Oh, nice. So I did that for the last few years I was there. Uh, yeah, you know, all this other stuff. I tried a hundred different things um, in LA while I was trying to be an actor. I also tried to be a casting director and a, uh, an agent and a, this and a, all, all these things. None of them worked out. Finally, the husband and I are like, we're done with Vegas. You can only be there for so long before you've, it's not fun anymore. Yeah. Um, so we picked Austin. And Austin is this amazing place. You come here and the city makes you feel like you can accomplish any dream or goal you've ever had in your whole life that you just couldn't figure out how to do before. I don't know how else to explain it. The people here sort of facilitate that, but the city itself sort of just feeds that energy to you. And when I first got here, my my thinking was, oh, I've always wanted to um, open a bonsai shop. I'm a bonsai master and I've been doing it for a long time. And there isn't one really here in Austin. So let's try it. And I did it and I raised some money and I opened this cute little trailer near the sort of big park here in Austin, but I just couldn't get a bank to lend me the money and eventually had to close after like eight months. Um, and so then I start thinking, well, what is the very first thing I wanted to do in my life? Oh, I wanted to be a veterinarian. So I start searching for jobs as like a vet tech or a kennel tech. I'm not gonna get a vet tech job. How am I gonna, I don't have the experience for that, right? So um, within a couple of weeks of that, I, I happened upon a job for Austin Pets Alive, which is the, um, not the city shelter, but the city shelter adjacent, basically. Austin Pets Alive is a no-kill facility, and they have helped turn Austin into a no-kill city. Um, currently, Austin is at 98% no-kill, um, and Austin Pets Alive is the reason the city shelter, AAC, was able to accomplish that, because Austin Pets Alive takes in all the animals that would otherwise be euthanized at the city shelter and figures out what to do with them. And if we truly can't figure out what to do with them, then euthanasia is our last resort, or not ours, because I don't work there anymore, but um, was the last resort. Um, so almost three years later, I'm working in the clinic. I moved up from the cat department to the clinic. I was the lead pharmacy tech. And I, it, literally, I, that's the circle. I mean, it's, it's incredibly crazy how that happened and uh i'm not sure i'll ever understand how life brought me back to this literal full circle 44 years later you know it's crazy oh, that's amazing anyway that was the long-winded <laughs> version of explaining how, how i ended up <laughs> but it's a it's it's a better story if you tell the whole thing oh yeah you know, I don't know. yeah totally yeah 
because if you left <laughs> any of those details out, yeah. Anyway, it wouldn't quite be as impactful. Yeah. Austin <laughs> sounds a lot like Salt Lake. Uh, here, it's very nurturing to the arts and tech and you know small businesses. So it sounds like it's mm. very similar to there. Now, absolutely. Now, Austin, they uh, South by Southwest was one of the big big gatherings that got shut down first um when uh quarantine shutdown wise when did that fall and what, what has it been like um uh, it was like literally south by was before pretty much everything um and thank god they did because i mean if you just imagine that number of people and a, a very, very large portion of those people are from other countries. Yeah. So um, you've got all of these Asian tech gurus and all of those people coming uh, and then, you know, some locals and then everybody across the States, but man, somebody really, really, I know they've probably been completely ruined by this and I'm not sure they'll come back next year. God, I hope they do. Yeah. Uh, but really it was the smartest move. It could have been absolutely, absolute chaos and just uh, i mean the unfortunate thing is of course the state of texas has pretty much sort of taken away all of the restrictions on social distancing because we haven't seen any sort of major outbreaks in any of the major cities here in texas but that's because stuff like south by southwest was canceled real early right. um so, you know, we're, we're probably going to go backwards in a couple of weeks once they realize that was not the best idea to open up so soon. But when you've got the results we do have, which is that the, you know, infection rate here is pretty low and the death rate's pretty low. I mean, I, a few hundred people here in Austin, um, I, I would probably do the same thing if I were, you know, the government. I don't know. Yeah, we, we've, <laughs> we've started to open up a little bit. We went from dangerous to medium or whatever they are and mm. so restaurants you can dine in but you know six feet apart and all that and i, I work with a comedy club and they've opened back up and started to do shows but oh you know. yeah you're ahead of us because we we haven't gotten to bars bars and theaters yet we haven't gotten there yeah it i i it feels like it's time but you know it, it can be a little scary too so yeah, we'll super see. scary and it's so deceiving too because it feels like it's time it feels like it's time because we've been doing what we're supposed to do yeah and so we stop doing that we just don't know what'll happen hey maybe things will be fine but things might not be fine yeah and there's literally no way to know that i mean there's some history with other countries to know that yes but who knows we'll see yeah, we've been good. Can we go play? You know, sort of thing. Yeah. Well, the um, the vet clinic has always been essential, so I never stopped working. Yeah, I was at a college at testing center, and eventually that closed just because you know, all sorts of people you know could come in. Um, but let let's talk about the fun side of quarantine. You know, creative projects. Okay. And you're part of a really cool creative project um, right now. Uh, the Quarantine Bunch, which is you and other uh, child stars, uh, Keith Coogan, who we've had on the podcast before when he came to Comic-Con here in Salt Lake. Oh, cool. Okay. And um, Jeremy Miller from, uh, I almost said Family Ties, 
<laughs> Growing pains. Don't tell him you said that. Oh God. I might edit that out. <laughs> uh, people usually thought that I was on growing pains. They never could seem to put me on Who's the Boss. I don't know what it was. No, I, I think I was such a fan of Who's the Boss. Yeah, I never made that. But for him, okay. I keep on. I don't know. Maybe because for you, for the bowl cut, because you had the bowl cut, and then the little kid on Family Ties, maybe. Oh, maybe I. I... I don't know. I'm going to chalk it up to that I wasn't famous enough for people to remember which show I was on. They just knew I was on one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Alyssa Milano, now she's, you know, no one could forget what show Alyssa Milano was on. Everybody wanted to get in her pants, you know, every teenage boy. So, of course, they're going to remember that Alyssa Milano was on Who's the Boss. But the little kid on the show, I could be any little kid on any sitcom at the time you know i i didn't stand out enough to be that memorable well, you brought her up let's kind of tension over there what was how what was your relationship with her uh throughout the years on the show it wasn't gonna great it really wasn't um it wasn't you know hostile in any way it was just like older brother i'm sorry older sister younger brother um she was a teen she was a superstar. She had no interest or time for the little brother, you know? Um, and so it was like, yeah, slamming the door in my face. Uh, I wanted to hang out with her, but, but it wasn't anything, you know, more than just like two teenage kids being mean to each other, you know? Um, yeah, it wasn't that bad in, you know, yes. After the show, we didn't speak like, unless we were at an event or something together for, I had got 15 years, probably. Um, but then at some point, I think it was um, right when I came out to Oprah as being HIV positive, she reached out to me. And since then, we've had a fantastic relationship. And I think it was just, you know, becoming adults and um, for her having kids, maybe, and just sort of understanding life and uh, really growing into her own that had sort of opened us up to having a better relationship. I still don't talk to her very often, but I have a much better relationship with her than I did for the first like 10, 15 years after the show ended. Yeah. I've always wondered how kids on shows, you know, were with each other. Cause you hear about some shows, they're like best friends and they spend tons of time together, you know, offset and stuff like that. Um, back to quarantine bunch. Um, yeah. so how, how did you get involved or did they think <laughs> of you from the beginning or, uh, I think so, uh, pretty much. I think um, uh, I think it's I think Ryan. Um, I'm, try, I'm escaping on his name, not Ryan, the the writer, but my friend who's friends with him. Hold on. Um, what is his name? He was in episode uh, episode four. He played the guy who runs the theater company with Jeremy Miller, uh, Stephen. Um, Stephen, oh my gosh, I'm totally, don't tell him I didn't think of his name. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, I guess he and Ryan are friends, and Ryan was probably sort of batting around the idea with anybody who knew, who might knew any sort of child celebrities of any sort, and um, Stephen always thinks of me, and so he contacted me and said, hey, would you be interested in doing something random? Um, and I was like, why not? I, I mean, I, I never say no to things. Yeah. I just don't get asked very often. 
Um, so Paul, um, Ryan sent me, Ryan Paul, that's, yeah, Ryan Paul sent me the, um, the first script and I thought it was so funny. I was like, absolutely. Um, and so here we are. I, he's just really funny and super talented. And he has this really cool way of sort of um, getting into the brains of child celebrities in a way that uh, not everybody gets. And so a lot of it is sort of inside stuff um, that it just was baffling to me. Like, how do you understand? How do you understand this? Uh, and that's what makes it so funny. And I think um, it's a lot funnier to us <laughs> than it might be to other people because we know some of that sort of mentality of a child star. I think Annie Wood in the last episode probably said it best. Like, um, did you see the last one? Yeah, with her? yeah I watched it earlier yeah, She's today. standing at the fridge and she's like, gosh, they were so cute when they were younger. <laughs> you know, it drinks some Tito's. I mean, that just sums up child celebrity in a nutshell. And like, kudos to Ryan for sort of understanding that idea. Um, and, you know, it's shits and giggles. It's something fun and silly to do. And I don't think any of us have intentions of it being like, you know, what do you call it? Webbies or yeah. webby word? Yeah, we're just having a good time, you know, and giving people something to laugh about during all this nonsense. Um, but that said, it's a really great concept and it's perfectly suited to Zoom. I mean, it is yeah. entirely the Brady Bunch setup. And people say that all the time. So we capitalized on that. But that said, Ryan's a great writer and it has a really cool concept, but we also have a really good cast. Um, Dean McDermott is stupid funny yeah. <laughs> and a lot of his stuff is uh, improv and I just can't help myself but laugh. That character is just ridiculous. Um, and Jeremy is fantastic. Scott is so silly. Scott um, is super silly. <laughs> super silly. Keith is fantastic. Um, Judy keeps us all on track. But I think my favorite character is probably Debbie from Tarzana. She's so funny. And the idea behind her just makes me giggle. And then she just pops up in the middle of our <laughs> meeting. I mean, it's so funny. Uh, so silly. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I loved her Feldman gig where she just uh, popped up yeah. in the hat and the glasses. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, in this last episode, you find out that she's Steven Spielberg's casting director. And everybody's <laughs> like losing their minds. Like, oh, my God, we've been trying to get rid of her this whole time where we should have been sending her our headshots. Yeah, um, Keith's face is like, I should have been nicer to her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, there's some really good stuff to come when it comes to uh, Debbie that I'm not going to give away, but uh, that's really, really fun. Um, at this point, there's three episodes left? Three episodes left. Uh, what are we, five, six, five. seven, eight? Yeah, there's three more, yeah. Now, did um, you said um, Dean, a lot of his stuff is improvised. Um, do they give you all a lot of room to improvise things? They, you know, they offered us room to improvise. And I think it's just sort of um, our style of acting. Like Judy and I are stick to the script and, and do our shtick and get it done. Um, but, you know, Scott's sort of aloof and maybe just isn't remembering the lines. <laughs> maybe <laughs> little Keith too. We got a little, you know, tipsy there for the episodes and the filming. So some of that, but um dean like he just came into this 
late in the game and just was throwing this stuff out there. And, you know, the thing people don't realize is he's not a real character. Yeah. Um, Ricky from, uh, what's it called? Oh. Oh. <laughs> uh, Rusty Makes Five. Oh, yeah, Rusty. Rusty yeah. Makes Five, yeah. Uh, that, that's not a real character. He's not actually a child actor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, they totally created this whole persona and he embodies it so completely. It's like, it's just so stupid funny. And he throws in that one element that I think was probably missing before, which is that sort of line of little racy yeah. um, in a good way. But that, that was totally missing until he sort of started throwing his festy cock around. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> all the names for things. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but he gets away with it because he's Scottish, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> it's just how we are. <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm excited for what what's coming. Um. Did you know any of the guys, any of the cast members before? Yeah. Um. Well, and that may partly be one of the connections too, is that I see Scott at a bunch of those comic cons. I see him. Um, and so I think he probably was, I was on his list maybe. And then our, our Ryan and my mutuals friend, um, Steven also throw me in, um, Jeremy and I have a whole bunch of great pictures of us together as kids. Um, but I haven't, I haven't spoken to him until a couple of weeks ago since then. So it's literally been a good 20, 20 plus years since he and I have connected. Um, there's some really great photos of him and I though as kids. Um, at some of those teen celebrity events and TV shows. I think we did um, was uh, one of those uh, kid uh, game shows together. Um, <laughs> do, what was that one where you went through the like maze and it was like this, this, this huge thing with like the balls and oh, you had a yeah. like, timer. I hear the double brain. dare. Oh, double dare. Yeah. I think we were on double day together or a battle of the network stars, I think maybe a bunch of that stuff. Yeah. They did a lot of that stuff back then. Yeah. <clears throat> back in the day. Um, I don't know Judy. Um, I don't think I knew Keith maybe in passing. I didn't know Dean. Um, so, uh, that, that is as far as the connection goes, but boy, did we have a good time that first night and we really seem like we've been going to this group for years. <laughs> and we really have that kind of a connection. I love it. Um, my favorite part is whenever we do the fun alley thing where we say, you know, actors we are, or uh, child child actors we were, actors we, we are. are. And the fact that not a single person can manage to do it at the same time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's freaking genius. Like, and we did not plan that either. It's just with delays and people sort of still figuring that out. Uh, we still cannot manage to do it all at the same time. And it's the end of the meeting. Everybody just wants to go. So they just. That too. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. And each person has their own version of MC. Yeah, I and love cut. it. <laughs> and this last episode, Dean, finally, we sort of, Dean did have the idea that it would take him like four or five episodes to catch on to the phrase. But here in the sixth episode, he does the whole thing. But so does Debbie. So <laughs> in the sixth episode, you've got all of us trying to do this mantra. It's so silly. So funny. How fun. No, I, um, you, you know, you, there's a conversation you mentioned. Um, 
you know, you came out gay and then HIV positive. Do you, do you see yourself as a role model in those kind of, you know, kind of activism in those situations? Um, I see myself as uh, one of the people that people turn to or think of when they start talking about those topics. But just because of life circumstances and some of the, you know, timing of all of it, um, I can't say that I would be like an activist or, uh, you know, a present day where people sort of turn to me for their thoughts on HIV anymore. Um, when I first came out about it, I tried really hard to sort of become this crazy activist that was really championing all the causes. Um, and it just didn't work out. It just didn't work. And um, it doesn't mean it was a bad experience. It just means that like, I'm, maybe I'm just not as uh, adept at being an activist as other people are. Um, and, you know, when I first came out as gay, I was in the middle of Stanford. I was graduating, I think it was sophomore year. I was in the middle of finals when it first came out. Right. I was totally unprepared for that um, and was as far from being in, you know, in LA as you could possibly get. And so the gay part totally just, you know, it was many years before anyone would sort of consider me a gay sort of activist. Um, and that definitely, I think people also consider me, but it, again, it's sort of like, here's the top 10 list of famous gay people, or here's the top 10 list of famous HIV positive people. And I'm on the list, but I may not be the first person people call, but you know, it, it's because I have a full-time job working at a, you know, event clinic. And I, I just don't have the time right now to sort of devote to all of that. And, um, and I just, a lot of the years passed where I was so broke and so poor and going through a lot that I just didn't have time to sort of become that, um, especially with the gay part of it. Uh, by the time I sort of figured out that I could be a gay activist, I was so in depth, you know, deep in, buying houses a debt and buying house and living in new york and going through shit that i just i can't be there for someone else if i can't be there for myself you know um so yeah does that make sense yeah but, but you know it's like i am on i am at the beginning of the list which is the part that people don't really know and uh, i always sort of wish people knew more about was that um i came out before ellen um, and you know, she's this sort of like tantamount sort of, you know, example of gay. Um, and it's, it's just a little, um, I don't know, a little unfair that I, I get sort of skipped over to her, but just cause I'm not anywhere near as famous as she is. And, you know, people sort of forget that I was that, you know, that champion in the beginning. So I don't know. It's. I don't know how I feel about it, I guess. Well, in, in my research, I, I see a lot of strength in you, and that, that's probably what led me to that question. And I, I commend you on that, just being strong. Oh, thanks. Yeah, you know, it, there is no better feeling. Um, and I feel like uh, the reason I sort of can be who I want to be now is because I literally have no secrets. Um, <laughs> and for anyone in the end of You, um, you froze up there. Oh, sorry. Uh, 
like to to be in the entertainment business and not have any secrets is you can count on one hand the number of people who can say that um and it it just feels really good and it's very freeing to sort of be able to be in a spotlight be in a do an interview and literally not have anything that is off the table for talking about <laughs> like that feels really great um and i think i'd like to take advantage of that more and sort of show people that you can be all those things and still be successful and happy and um whatever you want to do and whatever you want to be um and i think i'll get back to that at some point um but right now life is all about surviving all of this and trying to pay the bills you know uh, growing up who've been some of your role models I knew you were pretty close with uh, uh, Judith um, during the show when Tony seemed like a very father figure. Um, yeah, Judith has always been the number one role model, especially when it came to talking about being gay or being HIV positive. She was always the first person that I would think of to call to get advice on the topic. And she is the first person I call when I found out that I was going to be in the National Enquirer Um as being gay um you know I, I was obviously not trying to talk about being gay i wasn't hiding it at stanford i just wasn't i wasn't yeah hey guys let's talk about this um so when the inquirer sort of figured it out and found out and called and said look we're doing a story about it whether you like it or not because we have enough information to do it um what are your thoughts <laughs> the first person i called was judith because i i couldn't think of anyone else who would have better and sounder advice than she would and her advice was very sound. It was, look, there's one thing the inquirer is never allowed to do, and that is misquote you. So if you talk to them and speak honestly and truthfully, then it can't be a bad interview. It, it can't be a bad story. Um, and it's totally true. Uh, you know. And, and for the inquirer, if you go back and read the story from what year, what year was that? 1990, um, 1996, 1997? Um, and sort of put it into context that the National Enquirer is writing a story about a gay child celebrity. Uh, if you reread the article, it's actually quite forward thinking for the Enquirer wow. and, uh, and really not bad mouthing in, in any way, um, which was really pretty cool. Um, but, you know, I mean, it's almost like the kind of article you might expect to have come out in the last few years on the topic, not 96, you know. I'll have to track it down and read it. That that's interesting. It's especially, out there, especially from it's that definitely. source. That's amazing. Say it again. I said especially from that source. That's amazing that it was so. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they haven't always been good to me after that. <laughs> uh, it was a story they wrote about me working in Provincetown one summer, and look what's happened to him. He's broke and working at a hotel, and you know, blah blah blah. But. Uh, you know, if there's one thing I would hope they'd get right, it would be that. And they did. They totally did. Now, in closing, we do a bonus questions. Mm -hmm. uh, the podcast is called Your Creativity. Uh, so what does creativity mean to you? Oh, God. Creativity means to me the ability to be comfortable enough in your own skin and have figured out who you are well enough and thoroughly enough to let 
whatever you want to be creative in come out of you. A lot of people try to force creativity because they haven't figured out who they are. And so they use the creative outlet as maybe this will sort of help me um, live a certain life or be a certain kind of person. But until you've been through it and really sort of, you know, been at the very bottom in terms of the, you know, good side of life to build yourself up to a place where you feel like a complete whole person um, until you've gotten there creativity is sort of a mask uh, for a lot of people, I think. And once you actually get to that place where you feel like you know who you are, um, your creativity is unleashed and it could be completely different from what you would expect. Um, And that's the fun part is that you get to that place where you figured out who you are so, so completely that you're surprised by what makes you creative. Wow. I like that. That's, answer thank you (laughs) (laughs) next one's a lot funner uh who is your favorite muppet and why oh gosh um uh i think the 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 chef one i don't remember his name and i'm really bad at much the what the swedish chef the swedish chef i love that one he's so silly and um and one of the most free um like he did not care Right. He was just silly and like he could do no wrong in his mind. Yeah. And I think that's why I liked him, because even though they're they're Muppets, they still sort of had drama or not drama. They still sort of had stuff, you know, yeah. uh, Miss Piggy was always mad at Kermit or you know what I mean? Like they all had like character stuff going on and he didn't care. He was just there to make whatever kind of a meal who cares if it turns out okay? I just loved how free that allowed him to be. You know, I mean, it's Sesame Street, but even the cookie monsters got drama. Like, he's so obsessed with cookies. You know, he needs to see some therapy for that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the Swedish chef, he's oh, so silly. I love it. Uh, speaking of cookie monster, Elmo's getting a talk show on HBO Max. Oh. Oh, really? Yeah, and the Cookie Monsters like his uh, Ed Sullivan or Andy Richter. Okay, okay. And, and in the trailer, uh, one of the guests is a uh, cookie explaining cookies to the Cookie Monster, and he's like, oh, oh. You, "You don't need the cookies explained to me." <laughs> it was, it was... <laughs> well, that'll be fun. Yeah. Is it adult or is it for kids? It, it, it I think it's somewhere in the middle, kind of like, kind of like okay. puppets are. But yeah. Definitely, the Muppets are somewhere in between, for sure. Uh, what I would love to see, I think, uh, is Muppets totally for adults. And I don't mean in, like, a racy way. I just mean where the humor is um, very centered on being, you know, a 30-something Muppet and sort of what that means, <laughs> you know? That'd be really kind of interesting. Because um, even though they sort of feel like adults, some of the Muppets, they still act like kids in a lot of ways. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see sort of Kermit after working 10 years for, you know, an insurance firm and see this <laughs> difference. I, I don't know. I just think it'd be, that'd be interesting for adults, you know? Yeah. Shows him coming home at the end of the night, you know, sitting down and having a whiskey. Yeah. And having like real life problems yeah. and real life issues and trying to figure out how to pay the bills. And, you know, uh, I, that would be, I think that'd be so cool. I don't know. That'd be really fascinating to me it's kind of like when they did the um, christmas story 
like, you know, there were some serious topics in there, but the yeah. whole thing was still very kid and very kid friendly and very kid oriented. I almost would love to see like a really dark version of uh, Christmas Carol with the Muppets and just sort of that <laughs> dichotomy, you know? Uh, oh, yeah. I liked, uh, my favorite was Fraggle Rock. I loved, loved Fraggle Rock. I couldn't get enough. Uh, have you seen those new episodes on Apple TV? It's no, I heard there were, but I ha I don't have Apple TV, so I haven't seen it yet. Do they have the trash people? Those trash piles? It, it's it's very similar to your show. They're in quarantine, each one of their oh. caves, and they talk to each other. So it's, oh, cool. So it's very quarantine bunchy. They have these, like, some... Oh, that's cool. These things where they can communicate and see each other in each other's caves. Oh, I like that idea. I would like to see that. I'm going to have to try and figure it out. I, I love those trash piles. I don't even remember what they were called. Um, is that weird? Why do I... I don't, it's the trash. Um, oh, well, uh, it says a lot about me, I guess. I, <laughs> I can't, Yeah, I can't remember what they're called. And then our last bonus question, and it always weirds me out when I ask an a actor this bonus question. Um, in the movie of your life, who would you want to play you? Oh, God. Oh, well, uh, depends on where in my life, I think. If the story were to center around me now, I think that's the time I would have the hardest time finding someone who I think would be right for the part. Um, I think if it were 20 years from now as an older man, um, Sir Patrick Stewart would be a good choice. Um, as a younger guy uh, in my 20s, I think there's a lot of choices, but I wouldn't want any of them to bring bring it down with sort of a movie of the week feel to it, because um, that'd be a disservice. So like, do you remember that movie? Um, oh gosh, what was it called? With um, the guy from Home Alone. Um, Macaulay Culkin? Macaulay Culkin did this movie, Gay, uh, where he played the guy who kills the other guy's... Um, party Monster? Party Monster, yes. For me, Party Monster just... It, it was so weird and so out there and so sort of unbelievable in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, I, I would want it to not be like that. Um and so I would almost say like um, an unknown actor who could just really deliver the the true like drama that I went through in my 20s uh, and the drug use and sort of do that properly and not have that be caricature. Um, so I, I don't care who it is as long as they can play me being a tweaked out, dramatic, depressed, uh, sad you know, person at the time, I, I don't care who plays the part. Just got to get it right. You know, that can, you could get that really wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, let's see. Let me just double check my notes here. I'll have a sip of my wine in the meantime. All right. I think that is pretty much it. Unless there's anything that you want to share about the show or, or your life or anything. 
Uh, not really. I, I'm looking forward to more quarantine bunch. Um, some people today online were asking if we're going to continue it after the quarantine, and I totally think we should. Number one, because I'm not in LA, so we don't have <laughs> a way to do it in person. Um, and number two, I just think it's really freeing. You know, we don't have to worry about um, blocking and lighting and camera angles and all that. We just literally can sit in front of our computers and have a script and somewhat of a script and um, and just go back and forth. And I think a lot of people would really enjoy the stuff that hasn't made it to the final cuts. Yeah. Um, it just gives people joy. And I think that hopefully we'll all get back to that when this is all over with. I don't think people care as much about all of the ins and outs of Hollywood and all of the drama and the, you know, there's just so much. And I think people are going to come out of this and go, none of that matters. I hope, I hope that people will come out of this and I hope the entertainment business will come out of this and say, look, you know, having to, you know, like actors, for instance, I was thinking of this the other day, any sort of major celebrity who has the audacity after this is over to sort of have a list of demands for their next film. Like, come on, you know, yeah. like after what we've been through, you're not allowed to request only green M&Ms or, <laughs> or any of that nonsense. And hopefully that'll happen. Um, I hope that happens sort of, you know, in every aspect of life, but we're also human and we're also creatures of greed and, habit <laughs> and um it might stick for a minute but i don't think it'll last unfortunately even though this has been a very dramatic and awful pandemic it hasn't been dramatic enough i think to really to really wake people up yeah. i think we got people sort of woken up from a nap maybe but we haven't truly made people realize how life how short life really is and how how much of a balance there is I, I don't think we've we've accomplished that um i know that was mother nature's intention with this <laughs> but um we we'd ha we need another you know few hundred thousand people to die before people would really figure out that that's not you know the stuff that they think is important is not what life's about um so We'll see what happens. Yeah, because there's a lot of stubborn, you know, pink-headed people. Uh, and it's... Yeah. Yeah, I was watching the news tonight, and there's, you know, people, like, screaming at people because they won't open their store or, you know. Yeah. It's like, no, you, you don't get it. Plus, stores have the right to refuse business to yeah. whoever they want. Of so... course. It's backwards thinking, but I... I... I almost wish that it, it were a lot worse than it is <laughs> um, because then might we might actually make some changes. Um, but the place we're in now is so superficial because maybe we've done a good job of isolating that we're just not going to get through to any of those people who, uh, for instance, today, the, the, I don't know if it's fake, but the, um, the documentary about the pandemic you know, the, the concept that there are people who truly believe that this was planned by the Democrats to cost Trump the election. The fact that that's actually still on the table yeah. means the pandemic has not been as impactful as it, as it could have been. Um, 
So it's like, I don't want any more of it. God, no. And I don't want any more people to die. But at the same time, like we have this opportunity in front of us and it's, it, we're just not close enough to whatever it is that would actually sort of make people open up their eyes and realize that we are all in this together. And um, we're, it's not happening. It's yeah. just not happening, sadly. No, I don't want to close on a sad note. So do you have a, a quirky Hollywood story to close this out with? Uh, <laughs> or, well, I, I guess it's not quirky. Well, there's, I mean, one of the stories I tell recently is about the comic cons that I go to um, and how they're kind of disappointing to me. So it's not really a good story to end on, but it's a good story to tell. Um, so I go to these things and... Um, I always, you know, we have this person who handles the money aspect of things. And at the beginning of the weekend, I'll sit down next to them and I'll sit, we'll chat and all that. And I'll say, listen, you're going to discover after maybe a couple of hours, sort of what, what this is all about for me. And I want to see if you can figure out why this is painful for my soul on some level. And within a couple of hours, they go, oh my God, I, I can't believe that. And it, uh, what it is basically is that every single person who comes to my table to ask for an autograph, inevitably, the questions always end up being, wow, you're so cool. I love who's the boss. How was Alyssa Milano? How was Tony Danza? How was Judith Light? How was Catherine Hellman? They have no interest in finding out anything about me. They're just there to ask me how it was to work with all of those people who were more famous than me. Um, and it's like, I don't know how else to explain it, but the people who are with me for the entire day immediately pick up on that. And it's, it's a little disheartening, <laughs> um, but it's part of the territory. Uh, you know, I've always been the low man on the totem pole of who's the boss. I'm fine with that. Um, but I guess a, a, an interesting story or something funnier to end on is, um, you know, most of the pictures I have at these comic cons are of me from the show. Um, and I have this one particular picture that is kind of, I still have it. It's kind of a little like teen heartthrobby. I was trying, I was trying real hard. Um, <laughs> And this guy came up to my table who was probably in his late 60s, which means when the show was on, he was, you know, what, mid-30s-ish? Uh, and he picks this picture up and he says, gosh, I had such a thing for you. <laughs> and I had... I had no words. Yeah, where do you, where do you go with that? <laughs> had no words. I uh, immediately in that moment realized that uh, what he meant was <laughs> that this 30-year-old guy had a crush on a 14-year-old. Um, I'm flattered. I don't, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> uh, but that's fine. I'm good with that. I'm fine. I'm fine with it. I'm totally okay with that. <laughs> Um, social media wise, if anybody wants to, to follow you or do you not post very often or, uh, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not good at it. I've been doing a lot of posting for 
quarantine bunch. So if you search Danny Pintaro on any of those platforms, you'll find me. Um, it's pretty self-explanatory. Each one's going to be Danny Pintaro. And there's only only one Danny Pintaro in the world. Um, my last name is pretty unique. So, um, yeah, but I, I haven't had the time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm too busy trying to make dogs and cats feel better. So that. I like TikTok more than anything, and that's just because I like to watch the half-naked guys do stupid dances, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, Daniel. I appreciate your time, and we, we went a lot longer than the, the 20 minutes that I... <laughs> oh, we did. That's yeah. all right. We went a full hour, so I think I'm going to give you your own episode, and then those, oh, other, cool. those other guys <laughs> will be part two. <laughs> Nice. Well, I hope it's interesting enough oh, to yeah. make it an hour. It was very interesting. Appreciate your time. No problem. No problem. It was nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. The podcast is done, man. <laughs>